right, so today uh, we have Ellen Morris Bond. She's the executive director of Self-Help Incorporated. Uh, every year we invite um, Ellen to come and talk with us about issues of importance for the community. Uh, Self-Help does a lot of good in this community, um, helping people who need um, kind of one-time assistance, uh, short-term uh, care or, uh, assistance, and also helping them to set up their, their own um, businesses and uh, getting themselves on their feet. Uh, and so today, um, Ellen is going to talk on um, immigrants, health care, and prospects in the new administration, uh, a kind of wide-ranging uh, topic. Um, and uh, we will have a question and answer period after she does, does her presentation. Uh, so, Ellen? Good morning. Um, again, for those of you who may not be familiar with Self-Help Inc., but I think everyone I see knows about it here. Um, we've been in Los Alamos uh, since 1969, and the Bethlehem Lutheran Church has given self-help an office, um, which makes life a lot easier for a nonprofit when, when it has a space to be without a high cost. Um, I want to thank this congregation for all the support throughout the years. Um, every December, there's a lot of support that comes from you. And throughout the year, members stop in at the office and are very generous and give me input about you know, ideas for programs, and, and it's much appreciated. Um, I'm, I'm coming you, to you today with a, a different sort of talk than I expected to do. Um, I wrote my title before the election, and um, so... Things have unfolded in a surprising way. Um, and though I'm not a subject matter expert in immigration issues, uh, self-help may be one of the few uh, agencies that deals with immigrants. Um, we have me with a third grade Spanish. And right now we have a wonderful... Um, intern in our office. She's a native Spanish speaker, uh, the daughter of immigrants. Her parents immigrated from Mexico to San Diego. She was raised there. Spanish was her first language. And she's now on the path to a master's in social work. And I'm hoping to keep her around as long as I can. <laughs> she's really wonderful. Um, so I thought I'd start by telling you some stories of immigrants I have encountered in my office. And um, it, it's been an interesting journey. And the, as the next few years unfold, uh, we shall see how immigrants fare in our society. Um, last month, a woman came in who was, I would say, 90% into her full citizenship status. When she got into a relationship, she got into a domestic violence situation 
which entangled her in the legal system. And when immigrants are confronted with our legal system, they suddenly become at more risk than they might be if they were just, say, working, living their lives, having a family. Um, she was afraid to report the domestic violence. But with the help of some advocates, uh, this was in Taos, actually, she was able to go to court and get a restraining order, finish her immigration status, and our office was able to find her some housing in Taos, and we had a little car that someone had donated, and she really needed a car because her abuser had rammed her the side of her car on purpose, and um, it was barely making its way down the road. Um, so we stay in touch with her. Um, our intern calls her every couple months to see how she's doing. Uh, there was a young man some years ago who called up and said, I need translation. I don't understand these papers that I've been given. So this young man was brought to Los Alamos um, in the wave of immigrants that came to do hospitality work, um, they work Buffalo Thunder, they work Holiday Inn, they do all kinds of things, but uh, he was a landscaper at one of the hotels. And he brought me some papers that someone had told him he really had to sign, and they were um, draft or conscription papers to the military. He had no idea what he was signing. Um, so I, I see this happening now and again, that young people who immigrate for one reason suddenly find themselves heading towards the military, and that really was not his intention. Um, so we, we do uh, some translating at times of documents for people. Um, another situation that we've had this past year is providing help to parents of high school students who are immigrants. The high school student is probably fairly bilingual, but the parents may not understand how to fill out the dreaded FAFSA papers, the dreaded college applications, and there's something called the DREAM Act. Are you familiar with it? Um, I'm afraid it's going to go away. But it was under the Obama administration, there's been a huge effort to help um, kids graduating from high school go to college, uh, whatever their immigration status might be. Now, I'm afraid that the this is going to be dismantled in the near future, and it's just a, a sad part of the reality of the new administration. Um, we work with organizations in Santa Fe. Um, Catholic Charities has immigration attorneys, uh, people who can advocate at various levels with families. Um, and they have uh, a full staff of Spanish speakers, so this is really helpful. There's another organization which I recommend maybe sometime you might like to have a speaker come here. Um, 
Somos un Pueblo Unido, which is an organization that doesn't help one-on-one, -on -one, but helps with advocacy and, um, for instance, wage theft is a subject. Um, there was a restaurant that closed in Los Alamos, um, and one of the big chefs in the restaurant was an immigrant, but the owner felt, well, he'll never report this. If I don't give him his last paycheck, I'll just close the doors, and that'll be that. So that's known as wage theft, and that is illegal. So Somos un Pueblo Unido can take on not an individual's case, but will take on the business or the restaurant in this case and really hold them to paying those last paychecks. Immigrants of various status would be afraid to report their employer. Um, and Somos un Pueblo Unido would make it possible to, uh, <clears throat> to actually litigate in some way. So I, I said I would talk about health care, but I, I've had more broad-ranging thoughts about the state of immigration and how there's a fair amount of deportation going on, but then there's also forced deportation, which is a result of changing laws. For instance, um, in let's say three years ago, uh, Medicaid had some provisions that would help immigrants with prenatal care, childbirth, emergency room, and there is still some shred of that left, but to receive health care without paying cash ahead of time is nearly impossible without a social security number. So this forces the issue. If somebody becomes ill, uh, they are pregnant and are concerned about uh, paying for prenatal and birth, they may just decide to go back home. So it's what I would call forced deportation. Um, another area that affects mental health, physical health, and legal issues is domestic violence. Uh, it used to be that if a family was involved in domestic violence, it would be handled very much the same as a, any citizen in the United States. These days, if um, people are entangled in the law enforcement system, they do become at more risk. Um, another issue issue is um, availability of jobs. If, if you're without a social security number, you may be able to pay or be paid with cash. But normally it's um, domestic jobs, landscaping, the laundry at the Holiday Inn in Los Alamos has a number of immigrants. Um, people wash dishes in the back room of restaurants. But obviously, there's no real room for getting a raise or being a waitress or a waiter where you would be really getting a living wage. So as I say, I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert, 
but I do observe trends and I do see that things are getting very tough for our immigrants. Um, one thing I've been seeing lately is that there was a sanctuary movement in the late 80s, which actually was meant by communities of faith for there to be a place for Central American refugees fleeing violence in their country. Now the sanctuary movement is, is really renewing itself and our own Santa Fe mayor, Javier Gonzalez, I don't know if any of you saw his interview on Fox News, but Megyn Kelly interviewed him and said, now tell us more about becoming a sanctuary city. What does this mean? He uh, said that he has instructed law enforcement in the city of Santa Fe not to cooperate if there are deportations or the attempt to gain personal information on families of immigrants. Um, I noticed Santa Fe Community College is doing the same thing. If someone comes to the college to deport one of the students who is an immigrant, they will not cooperate. In fact, they will probably be escorted off the campus. So I see all these as very positive signs that um, there's not going to be full cooperation with this attempt to uh, move people out of the country. Um, some of the churches that have been heavily involved in the sanctuary movement are Unitarians, Quakers, and Lutherans. And particularly Lutheran family services, uh, there's one in Albuquerque, there's one in every big city, they have been so involved in the refugee crisis. They have been involved in the past in Mexican immigration issues. But I think they see themselves right now as trying to really address the Syrian uh, refugee issue. This is another sort of immigration issue, which I won't touch much on today, because my contact is mainly with people from Mexico who work in Los Alamos, um, Santa Fe County, Rio Reba County, Taos. Our whole region has many, many families. So I, I did some research before I came here today about which states have strongly made a stand as sanctuary states and in particular, New Mexico, Colorado, California, Washington State. I know we have a visitor, visitors here from Washington today. Um, strangely enough, Iowa, um, it's in the middle of the country. I don't know why, but Iowa has taken a very, very strong stand. And cities that have ver come out very vocally are San Francisco, Santa Fe. Um, Denver is a, has a huge refugee and immigrant population. And these areas may provide some hope for immigrants who need to go to a safe place. And there's... People are wearing safety pins lately, and, and this is another issue that requires a safety pin, I believe. So 
I, those are the issues I wanted to throw into the discussion, and I would love to just have a conversation about this, what people have observed, experienced, um, what, where you see things going. I would love to just have a discussion at this point. Any comments or? Uh, so, if people have questions or comments, um, we can use this microphone. Uh, that way, everybody can hear. Um, so, we have that Syrian refugee program here. Would you like to talk about that? Or who, who's involved in that here? I'm not sure. Is anyone here involved with with our collection? Wasn't it Kelly Shea? Oh, okay, yeah. I get her emails. Yes. <laughs> this is and, how and, I know. <laughs> yeah. I just joined the Social Justice Committee, and I, I know there's a meeting tomorrow evening at 7, if any of you are interested. But um, they're working with primarily, I think, one organization out of Albuquerque, because I think it's this month that Albuquerque um, is supposed to receive a number of Syrian refugees um, but I don't know a whole lot more than that just now. Um, they were collecting recently um, coats and things like that. So if any of you are interested, um, but Kelly is involved, Tina, um, Alisa, is, that, is it Alisa, Alisa, Alisa Enriquez. So um, you can ask any of them. This is a comment about the general subject, not uh, so much about anything you said. But I'd like to remind everybody that a lot of us were have ancestors that were once in the same boat. Now, I have pale skin and blue eyes. In today's atmosphere, I'm home free. But a quarter of my ancestry came from the Scottish Highlands and spoke Gaelic and they were very firmly discriminated against a long time ago, 200 years ago, but I'm aware of that history. Half of my ancestry came from Germany and upon arrival were severely discriminated against. A lot of us are in the same boat without really knowing it. Thank you. Thank you, John. Hi. When you say uh, things like UNM, LA, or whoever, the, the colleges who won't cooperate when people come to deport, what does that mean? What does that look like? Isn't that law enforcement that's coming to get the people to deport them? It is, but uh, it was Santa Fe Community College. I think because they have such a high immigrant population there going to school under the DREAM Act, um, they have sort of adopted a closed record stance, sort of like a medical office, you know, HIPAA. They will not release personal information, addresses, immigration status, or citizenship status, that is, um, family members' names. They just won't release it. And um, so 
Our new administration has said that these organizations will forfeit certain kinds of federal funding, and we shall see how all that comes down. But I find it admirable that they're willing to take that sort of stand, put themselves at risk in behalf of those who may not have too many champions out there. So I don't know how it will actually play out. Um, it's not been tested yet that I know of. Uh, Ellen, you mentioned something about wearing safety pins. I'm not familiar with that. Could you explain that? Um, I think that when on, in the aftermath of the election, um, I'm trying not to be too political here. Do you notice? Um, people have adopted the wearing of safety pins to tell others that you are safe with me. Um, if you feel at risk at any level due to the new landscape that's coming around, um, that I'm a safe person, you can talk to me about it, I will not discriminate, and I will um, protect you if I can. You know, as individuals, we have only so much ability to prevent, for instance, someone from being deported. But at my office, at least, I try to give as many resources as possible. So our office is a giant safety pin. <laughs> Do you see a big difference in the um, social atmosphere in a place like Los Alamos compared to something like a place like Española or uh, Santa Fe? With regard to uh, immigration, refugees. Well, I would say in northern New Mexico, there's or historically been some resentment of immigrants from Mexico because of job issues, various issues. Um, I see it sort of dissipating in recent years. In Los Alamos, um, I had an experience, for instance, the other day, uh, there's a, someone who was a house cleaner and her employer called me and said, what can we do for her? I'm afraid she's going to have to go back to Mexico, and she's such a wonderful person, and she really wanted to go to bat for her. Um, so my experience in Los Alamos is there's more openness to protecting immigrants. Um, you know, they're often very valued employees, uh, very hardworking, dedicated people and um, very dedicated to their families and people notice that and don't want them to leave. Um, they're great additions to our community. Um, so Los Alamos seems open-minded open to me. If anybody has seen something different, I'd be interested to hear, but Anyone else have a have a question or an issue? Okay, um, could you let's see? I, th I think initially you had a, a couple more topics. Um, could you spend a little time on that? 
um, on health care? Yes. Or, um, so really, the health care issue boils down to um, health insurance, the use of medical facilities, and uh, the willingness of practitioners to treat immigrants without social security numbers. I attempted to get someone care at Los Alamos Medical Center, and they, they, they said they absolutely will not treat people without Social Security numbers. And they, they said to me it's because of billing. They feel like they can't trace the people or find the people, um, but they will not treat unless they're under the Emergency Medicaid Act at the emergency room. And that emergency Medicaid covers life-threatening issues and childbirth. And that's all. Um, if, if you went there with a high fever and you know, just something typical that goes to an emergency room, they, wouldn't, they would not treat. They would uh, probably quickly evaluate and send them on. Um, I'll never forget, though, one time a man arrived at my office with his little boy in his arms, and the little boy was obviously feeling horrible, and he had pink eye, and he he was just very ill. And the man was just, he had no idea really what was going on, and so I called Children's Clinic, and I talked to Dr. Nichols' nurse, and they said, send him right over. And these people were treated without charge. Um, They were treated very well. And so it's really up to each practitioner how they feel about taking that on. Um, That was clearly a situation that might have gone to the emergency room, but the man was afraid. So um, on a case-by-case basis, I try to connect people up with health care and... You know, as I say, with the hospital, it's not very successful. Um, So health insurance. Um, Obamacare will not include people without socials. Um, Obamacare is probably going to be dismantled in the next three years in any case. Um, And... The marketplace of health insurance is so very expensive um, that I think people would hesitate to apply for that. But in general, people without the Social Security number that can be proven um, as legitimate cannot receive health insurance in our country um, in just very, very few cases. So that drives people away when they discover... Ah, well, in Mexico, if you're ill, you just show up at a clinic and you receive treatment. But in the United States, if you're ill, you can't just show up and have a clinic respond to you without a lot of clearance first. So it will eventually drive people away from this country, I think, as as it gets worse. And I see it getting worse. So it's interesting you mentioned that because um, when I was a student back in the 70s and I went to England as a, as a student, 
any any problems I had, I I just walked down to to a, I, I was registered with a doctor, and I would just go in. Um, and then when we were in Mexico on a vacation a vacation trip um, about three years ago, one of our our number had a problem, and it turned out there was a clinic nearby, and she walked in and got her treatment and got her medicines and w- asked about paying, and they wouldn't accept any payment for that. Mm-hmm. And I found it very ironic mm-hmm. that here, here's an American in Mexico, and uh, your money is no good when it comes to health care, and you, you reverse that situation, and it's completely upside down. Another situation that happened um, in my world, um, I got a call one day from the county manager. He had somehow gotten wind of this situation there's a Chinese family who had their elderly parent visiting. The elderly parent broke her ankle and showed up at the ER, needed some very expensive images taken, and it was a serious break in her ankle. So they pretty much turned her away and the family ended up in the county manager's office saying, what is going on here? In China, this would never happen. They would not turn a person away. So in the end, the social service department in in Los Alamos got involved, and she went down to Española Hospital, received treatment. They set up a payment plan, um, but this was a person obviously without a social security number and without she just didn't think of getting health insurance for her visit she was going to be here a month but you know she slipped on the ice and you don't expect that will happen so um i guess i would say that if an immigrant needs to go to a hospital espanola hospital has been a little more open to serving people without socials so, not for free, though. I'll let the doctor speak. <laughs> ah, the doctor. Yeah, this is, no, this is not a doctor comment. Oh. Uh, except to the ex- extent that um, I know how sensitive the hospital is to bad publicity. Um, and it would seem like this would be a a situation where if, say, two or three churches in Los Alamos came together and said, this is not acceptable for our hospital to be turning away people because they don't have Social Security numbers, um, that, and made a bit of noise about it, that that might change. Well, it's sort of like the sanctuary movement. <clears throat> if enough people say, we're going to protect immigrants from this sort of discrimination, it may have power. Um, and you're right that this, the hospital is very sensitive to its optics in the public, and I think it would be worth a try. However, they've been bought by a huge corporation located in Kentucky, I think it is. So it would have to be a corporate decision. Um, I'd have to really look at how to go about that. Well, the corporations that own these hospitals, you know, know that each hospital is its own market, 
and they don't want any of their hospitals to be losing substantial profits. And um, so I, I do think they're pretty sensitive to bad publicity. Mm -hmm. um, and if a story came out that this was going on, that might not be a, such a problem for the hospital. But if a bunch of people in the community, especially several communities of faith, spoke up about it as a real moral issue, I mean, the hospital's not being asked in this case to... Um, treat these people with no payment, just, you know, allow them to pay, allow someone to pay for them, mm -hmm. you know, just treat them regardless of the fact that they can't be traced in the computer system. Well, that was exactly what happened is we were attempting to get someone care. And during the registration process, they found that there was no social and it all ended right there. So... I, I think that would be project. I, I think that would be a good social justice project. <laughs> yeah. Mike. Have you had experience with the urgent care facility? No, I haven't, and that's an interesting question. Um, is it Doctor? Begins with M. Um, McLeese. Um, it'd be good to question that there. That might be an option. It's certainly an option a lot of times for rather than going to the emergency room, mm -hmm. because I've taken advantage of it a couple of times. Yes. I think I would like to investigate that, because um, it might be, if someone comes to me and says, I need care right now, and, and we actually have an emergency fund so that we could pay some initial fee and help them get seen. But, you know, Los Alamos Medical Center didn't want us to enter into that with them. So maybe Dr. McLeese would. Yeah. Uh, oh. This will be our last question. I noticed in our my doctor's office a new sign that said we no longer accept Medicaid patients. And that must be a terrible problem for people. Well, it's a more generalized problem. Um, Los Alamos has just a few doctors and dentists who accept Medicaid. Um, and I believe, Tyler, doesn't your office accept Medicaid? I think it does. It's one of the few. Yeah. Um, and so just finding a practitioner who has a space open who will take Medicaid in the town has been pretty challenging. As far as dentists, I believe the only one is Dr. Nichols' son, uh, Bill Nichols. Um, it's the pediatric dentistry. So it, it's very hard to find. One of the issues there is that, uh, and I know this was true when I had my own solo practice, is that if somebody participates, a doctor participates in the Medicaid system, then immediately you're assigned 50 or 75 patients by Medicaid that you've never seen before. Uh -huh. um, so 
it's not just sort of a, okay, we'll take the people who called in and scheduled an appointment. You're sort of signing on for a whole uh, crew of, of patients. And that's that's been a big stumbling block from people being willing to participate. And could those people be outside Los Alamos County and get assigned to Yes, um, yes, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, Alan. Thank you all, too.